Warning, the following podcast may contain material that is inappropriate for listeners that are under the age of 18, are easily offended, or get annoyed listening to the rantings of holier-than-thou-know-it-alls that are anything but. everybody, Daryl here. This is show 103 of the Anime World Order podcast. This is going to be an all-news episode, given some of the recent developments. Bear in mind, this was recorded about two weeks ago. There have since been other important developments as far as what has been discussed here, we know. But I think it'll be pretty interesting for you to listen to anyway. If you want to know why it took two weeks, mostly technical issues. Some portions of the recording were lost and had to be recovered. You may hear some slightly awkward cuts about halfway through during the original recording. Clarissa had to go, but you know, here it is anyway. For those just tuning in, this is not a typical episode of the Anime World Order podcast, if typical exists anymore, in that we don't actually review uh, any particular anime or manga this particular episode. But if you'd like to hear a regular episode, please head on over to our website, which is www.animeworldorder.com. Com. I'm continually amazed how many people don't know that we have a website. I still get questions from people asking, hey, how can I go and listen to your older episodes? Or which episode was it where you reviewed so-and-so? It's all on that website, www.animeworldorder.com. We've got links to all the previous episodes. There's a review index up top. We've also got links to all our guest appearances on other podcasts. Which, on that note, I am going to be, once again, on Greatest Movie Ever. But I'm also going to be on the Oh Great Another Podcast podcast. I'm going to be talking about video games, Saints Row the Third and Bulletstorm. Uh, I'll put the link up when that goes up. There was a problem with the website for a few days in that some of the uh, permanent links weren't redirecting to the right place. That was because we changed our domain registrar from GoDaddy to Namecheap. And if you want to know why that is, it's because the um, recently defeated Stop Online Piracy Act, or SOPA, um, was something that we didn't want to support, and GoDaddy was a supporter of that, so we changed over our domain, and there were some uh, issues with the DNS servers and all that stuff. But it's all been worked out since. SOPA in its current form has been tabled. I know a lot of people are happy about that, but the way the world works, the way politics works, they're just going to keep bringing it back up under different names, under different places, until it eventually passes through. So we got to, you know, watch out for that stuff. Anyway, hope you like what you hear. If uh, you have anything you want to add to the discussion, uh, please leave a comment on that website. Don't make me repeat it. It's already embedded in the ID3 tags of this podcast, as well as the lyrics and the feed entries and all that stuff. Not sure what else I can do to let people know that that website exists. If you have a general question for us or uh, questions or comments related to uh, this episode or previous episodes in the general sense, you can also email us at animeworldorder at gmail.com. Hope you enjoy it. Let's news! Working to restore power.
There's really only one bit of news to talk about, and uh, it's kind of a doozy. And as such, I've brought in a, a crack team of angry Bostonians, uh, Mr. <laughs> Neil Nadelman. Hey. And, of course, the Internet's Mike Tool. Who? Not just one, but several. Who? I don't know. The sexiest voice in all of anime, that's who. Oh, get out. All right. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, guys. So we're all devastated by the Akira movie being shut yes, down. Yes, that is really what this whole news thing is here to happen. You know, we thought that it was totally going for it. You know, it was mm-hmm. in pre-production and pre-production. Hey, that may as well be a movie, right, guys? <laughs> no, no, we've actually got bigger fish to fry. And that is, of course, the announcement that Bandai Entertainment, one of the um, longtime staples of the American anime publishing industry, is effectively ceasing new releases of dvds and blu-rays in america basically they're cutting down most of their staff i mean they're only like about five guys so they're going to be two guys you know discotheque size at this point yep Mm -hmm. apparently the announcement has been decided upon about two months ago three months ago that they said um you know what their cash cow isn't really there anymore which is to say physical media dvds blu-rays that sort of thing not really selling as much as they'd like they figured they were doing everything they could, and so they're uh, effectively canceling a lot of their future releases, pulling the plug on their, their manga division for whatever that's worth, keeping their existing catalog titles in print. Of course, going forward, they're going to kind of just stick with some of the more boutique releases, such as Gundam Unicorn and the like. The full story, of course, was broken on uh, the Anime News Network by uh, Kenna Yodomi. There's been a lot of responses to this. Everyone is, of course, speculating on what was the cause of this why did this happen there's no need for speculation it's all spelled out in the anime news network article there's what was said and then there's the secret hidden truth mike it's like what's written on the back of the declaration of independence the treasure map to the real treasure which being anime world order only we know only we have the special glasses made by benjamin franklin Yes. Yes. Well, then the question is, which of you is the anime version of Sean Bean, and which is the Ed Harris who discovers El Dorado? I'm the Ed Harris because I'm a bad swimmer. I just want to redeem my family's... Oh, that's right. So you'll be uh, the bad guy for most of this recording, but you'll save everyone heroically at the cost of your own life at the end. That is correct. Excellent. To get things started, certainly the message boards and blogs have been uh, lit a fire as far as what does this all mean, to quote the end of Assassin's Creed. In terms of... It's the end of anime as we know it. It's the end of anime. That's right. It's true. We're done. This podcast, uh, this is actually the final episode. Yes. And it was all the fault of those horrible fans. Yes. Yeah, I, was uh, saying, I thought anime was already over and that piracy killed it. Listen, if it wasn't for those greedy corporations trying to make money, then the fans would never do fan subbing. They're only fan subs because of those greedy corporations. That's right. This is basically the circle of the uh, anime fan sub piracy argument. Some people have circles of life. We've got circles of posting anime topics about the industry. But as it was, more or less every single anime dub voice actor on Facebook and Twitter has chimed in to basically say that piracy affected the business and because piracy had put such a dent in sales, they no longer had the money to stick around. That was posted by basically every anime dub voice actor I could find. Steve Bloom, Yuri Lowenthal, Kyle Bear, uh, Greg Ayers, and so on and so forth. I don't know how much piracy had to really do with it. Certainly, it's a, a factor for all entertainment. It's not the big picture. It's existed alongside anime from the beginning. It was there when anime was riding high and making lots of money. A lot of uh-huh. the people that started the first companies were 
pirates, basically. Well, sure, but you're talking decades ago now. Yes. And how much of that is still applicable in the modern yeah, day? Yeah, I am talking in a time period when piracy was very different. <laughs> Nobody is running off the nth generation VHS bootleg yes. copies that degrade over time anymore as far as that sort of foundation of anime as a commercial entity is concerned. But certainly the downloading. Should we stop all the downloading? Is the computer right? Help computer. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, the piracy affects it, certainly, but I mean, it's not the cause. I'd say that what happened is indicative of what's been happening in the entire video software market, and it's just reflecting a change that's happened over the last few years. And what is that change? People figuring out they really do not want to buy the discs when they're really probably going to watch the show only once or maybe twice. Yeah, my brother is an excellent example of this. He lost most of his DVDs in a flood that he had in his basement last year. And he simply didn't replace them. He said that he didn't really feel the need to. He has an Xbox 360 and an Apple TV, and that's how he gets his stuff. If he wants to watch something, he will rent it. I actually got the Area 88 anime for him for Christmas, and since I know what his tastes are now, I actually just ripped the video from the discs, gave it to him so he could stream it on his Apple TV, and said that, yeah, if you don't want to hang on to the DVDs, just re-gift them. And he appreciated that. That was what he wanted to do. And I think more and more people are like that. Uh-uh. Now, I think it's worth noting, like, how many people here have got Netflix streaming? I do, I do. I do. Yeah, me too. Every single person except me. And uh, how much material did the band I have in, like, the anime channel on there? Nothing. None that I know of. Some people will point to Garen Lagan, but I will remind people that that wasn't brokered by Bandai. That was actually Manga Entertainment who got that placed on those services. Ah. Yeah, the stuff that Bandai actually did themselves, no, it's not on there. They had a few things on YouTube. But that was pretty much the extent of their digital strategy. Pretty much. That is a bad reflection on them, that they really didn't get their stuff out there very well. But there wasn't any Gundam available in Netflix streaming and such. But I think that sort of reflects a lot of what Bandai's... Actually, Japan in general, their attitude toward digital distribution, they were never comfortable with it. They always just wanted to stay selling discs. I think they were actively trying to ignore digital distribution. I think they were actively trying to ignore basically any change in the DVD market. If you think about it, if you look at, say, the catalog of Funimation over the last several years, it's largely shifted over from individual disc releases to box sets, typically 13 to 26 episodes at a time. Bandai was very, very reluctant to do this for more or less all their new releases, even as recently as K-On!, That was something that was released, say, four episodes at a time. If you go back, even Gundam series, those were still, if you wanted that show, you got to buy ten discs, ten separate discs, you know, Mm -hmm. give or take. That's a a tall order. People progressively didn't want to do that. Well, anime was the only thing that did that. Like, if you bought an American television series, you would buy it at least a half a season, if not a full season at a time. And I guess they got away with it a while ago, but it just doesn't fly now. It's because the whole model is different. You think of American TV series, by the time most of those hit DVD, they've made back their money, and they can afford to sell that stuff cheaply and in pretty high volume. A lot of TV series sell in the hundreds of thousands of units. Anime, on the other hand, the media itself is the main revenue stream, and I think that was something that you you mentioned a lot on Facebook today, Neil. Yeah, basically the problem is the anime business model has been flawed from the get-go, and I've been sort of surprised that nobody else has been pointing this out. The problem is TV shows are basically meant to be given away for free by broadcast in exchange for having people watch ads in between them. 
selling TV series on disc in this country is, it's almost an afterthought, because like Mike said, by the time they get onto the disc, they've made their money back. The network has paid for the show because they want to get people watching their TV network at a certain time slot, and then they show commercials, and then they sell commercial time. That's how it's supposed to work. And only anime was predicated on the idea that you had to make all your money by selling the actual discs and selling the show. And it was just such a backwards way of doing it. They, Sorry, like I said, I went into this on Facebook earlier. Well, it's okay because most of us may not necessarily be following yeah. you on Facebook. Oh, yeah, but... No, this is the place where we all reiterate what we posted on Twitter earlier. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, to speak to the idea of having to make your money by selling hard media... That's an attitude that I can certainly see coming from Japan because uh, most TV anime there, especially smaller stuff that airs late at night, that's bought programming in terms of the producer, the studio, pays the TV stations for the time. It's essentially broadcast as infomercials. Infomercials for advertising, effectively, the DVD release. The DVD and the, the associated products. They recover some money by selling commercial time during those broadcasts, but they don't get a large cut of that. I've always thought that was incredibly peculiar, that that's how that's done in Japan. But Japan is weird. I mean, we think of all this great anime on television, but actual broadcast TV is kind of scattered and kind of a mess there. There are a lot of shows, including popular shows, that you can't really watch unless you're in Tokyo. I think all of that is true, but in terms of let's talk about this anime thing as if it were a product to be bought or sold... Yeah. Um... From the consumer standpoint, all of that is transparent. What would actually benefit the consumer is typically, you know, let me rephrase that. What most consumers of anime in the U.S. are now willing to accept is the 13 episode set for a roughly 20 to 40 dollars, depending on the show. That's generally the accepted price point that most people are willing to spend for anime who do currently purchase Japanese animation. That's the most optimal, consumer-friendly, physical media option, not counting Blu-ray. And they're also willing to accept it sub-only as well, which is becoming bigger and bigger. Right, but that's in service of keeping at that price point and keeping at yes. that episode count. And that's roughly $3 an episode if you're charging $40 for a 13-episode box. And, of course, with discounts, that goes lower. But we're talking roughly like uh, iTunes-level prices Correct. per episode. And so that's basically what the numbers would suggest people are willing to put up with on the consumer side. That would be the most beneficial arrangement for the purchaser. That is not what Japan wants out of the deal, though. What Japan wants out of the deal, preferably, would be if we all just bought things the way that they sell things currently, which is in the single disc format, either two to four episodes at a time, or in the case of some things, maybe even one episode at a time. That is an eternal source of conflict. And to go back to the press release here... You're skipping the most important part. One to two episodes for how much a disc, perhaps? Right. Of course, the Japanese price is $80 a disc, traditionally. No, no, the introductory price is 6,800 yen. Then the regular price is 7,800 yen for all subsequent volumes. Yes. A really, like, for fans only sort of pricing. The typical joke, I would say, is that it's demand and supply versus supply and demand. Mm. They're basically keeping rental pricing alive, except they're not depending on rental. Explain what rental pricing is for the people who are under the age of 20. Rental pricing is, once upon a time, they assumed that only video rental stores would be buying copies of these things, and so a movie would be 
maybe 80 to $100 for a single tape with the idea that a store would buy maybe two or three of them, and then you rent them out for $5 for three nights, and then you'd eventually make your money back, and then it's pure profit after you've paid for it after the initial couple months. But yeah, it was called rental pricing. They didn't develop what was called sell-through pricing really until uh, DVDs came around in the late 90s when the idea of selling a movie for under $30 became popular. Yeah, I mean, you could buy movies on VHS prior to that, but typically brand new releases, yeah, they'd be rental pricing for the first several months. And then maybe, you know, around the holidays, then you could buy certain classic favorite movies at a more reasonable price. But yeah, for the most part, new release movies, yeah, they'd go for around 90 bucks. And so Bandai decided that they would keep this pricing strategy in place for anime to this day, or the Japanese. Yeah, it's it's not a Bandai thing. It's a Japanese thing. I mean, I, I think price points for media in general in Japan have always been kind of a tier higher than here. Well, that's because they know that the Japanese consumers are willing to pay the higher prices. Yeah, that's something that fascinates me because I've talked to Japanese fans about this. I had a conversation years ago with a gentleman who was upset because the, not even a special edition really, just a regular edition of the uh, You're Under Arrest movie was like, a, you know, 12,800 yen, about $140. According to him, he and everyone he knew who was into it complained about this at great length, and then they all went out and they bought the disc anyway. And therefore, they get what they deserve. Exactly. Well, hold on a second, though. I mean, that kind of ties into this announcement because obviously that's not the case here the average anime consumer is not willing to spend that kind of money most consumers would spend typically as much less and the amount of people you'd find who would love the show that much that they would spend that money is a fraction to be generous of the amount that wouldn't perhaps buy a show if it were more reasonably priced heck i love wings of oniamis and i still wouldn't pay the price that bandai visual wanted for that one blu-ray disc what was that like 70 or 80 60 bucks i think 59.95 yeah yeah still entirely too high it was a dvd and blu-ray set or in my case i have the dvd and hd dvd set which i got as a gift but yep. it's not worth it it's it's really was indicative of bondi visual was trying to replicate pretty much all releases and the prices that they were in japan over here and, and it didn't work out very well for them at all. Nope. If you go back to the earliest episodes of this podcast, you might say the first episode narrative of the news segments of Anime World Order has been the trials and tribulations of Bandai Visual and their attempts to bring over the Japanese business model of selling physical media to the United States. It hasn't really worked out for them. If you go back a little further, you'd see the part where we said Bandai Visual is folding up shop and they're just going to merge with Bandai Entertainment. At the time, we kind of expressed some trepidation that the Bandai visual way of doing things would then uh, carry over into Bandai Entertainment <laughs> in a way that sort of has happened because if you look at the Anime News Network piece, it said what prompted this decision for Bandai Entertainment to close up shop. It wasn't necessarily that Bandai Entertainment was hugely in the red. Not at all, no. No. They said that they could probably have gone on for several more years, but mm -hmm. uh, the Japanese company is what shut them down. And more specifically, some of the people who, who made that decision to shut them down were people who ran Bandai Visual. Yeah, one of the folks on the business unit in Japan was Tatsunori Kono, who was the CEO of Bandai Visual USA. Very nice man. I met him on a couple of occasions. I met him as well. I met him at the New York Anime Festival, 2007 or so, right in the heyday of Bandai Visual and having all their controversial decisions. 
for anyone wondering, it wasn't a case of they weren't aware of all these things. I mean, I certainly said it all to his face, you know, much of the stuff that I've just gotten done saying before. And he's very said multiple times to his face. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, everyone said it at the panels when they do industry panels at conventions. Everyone would say the same thing and they'd always say, yes, we understand. We know. So it's not that they didn't know. They knew. They just didn't want that to be their reality. <laughs> you know, they figured it would be better to fail on their own terms than to accede to the requests of all these people. Well, what is that old yeah. saying, that it takes 10 years for a Japanese company to fail or something like that? Yeah. And Bandai Visuals have been around for 13 years? Kenny Adomi sums it up really well in that press release where he says the price range for our products kept dropping in Western countries, and that led us to a different strategy than what the Japanese licensors wanted. That's the key phrase right there. Yeah, that sums it up. It's all about what the Japanese company wanted, what their expectations were. Since Bandai Entertainment wasn't playing to that, they pulled the plug. Which is really troubling because, to me, that seems like the Japanese are slowly insulating themselves and their product from the entire world. Because no one in the world wants to pay what they pay for their product. I think you could kind of look at the shows that they make and make the same conclusion. Yes. But, you know, that's a, another topic. You kind of wonder who, who's buying all those copies of uh, The Girl Who Leapt Through Space. And unfortunately, um, there was that other company, Aniplex, that's using the Japanese strategy. Oh, man. Unfortunately, is doing very well. Yeah, they're hitting their sales goals. And I kind of have a feeling that hard media, since it's gradually becoming less popular, that's really the way it's going to go. It's going to be kind of an expensive curio. And the only way to really get it is to get it right when it comes out in this little window of exclusivity before the limited run sells out. Just for background's sake, I just want to point out, if anyone's unfamiliar with Aniplex, their business model, I certainly don't own any Aniplex releases myself, but Aniplex is, I guess, Sony Japan's DVD home video wing, or maybe it's just their anime wing. What they do is they focus in on a very small amount of series that are currently popular among fans in Japan and the United States alike, and then they announce a home video release that is going to be Fairly high quality, you know, as nice as you can hope for it, and very, very expensive in very limited quantities, such that if you want to own it on disc, you more or less have to pre-order it at kind of a very high price. And when I say high price, I mean like hundreds of dollars. Yeah, if you want to own the full 26 episodes of Fate Zero, that's going to cost you about six to $700. Correct. And what is Madoka Magica currently going for? Well, if you're cheap, you can get the Blu-rays just by themselves for 40 bucks each. But if you want the special editions with all the soundtracks and the posters and stuff, those are $75 each, so $225 for the three-disc set. Yeah. Yeah, I believe Clarissa and I saw a fan of ours um, showed us the Kara no Kyokai. The Garden of Sinners yeah. movie. That box set looked gorgeous, but I don't know. Clarissa, did he mention how much it was? Those were $300. Yeah. I thought it was $600. I think that may have been some kind of uh, retail suggested price, but they offer most of their wares through right stuff and always with a discount off the list price, but it's still expensive. And that Kara no Kyokai thing sold out. If you didn't pre-order that thing, you didn't get it. Yeah, I think there were 800 copies, and every single one of them was gone before release date. Yeah. Now, 800 copies is their target mark for, okay, it's a success, it's going to sell out if we can sell 800 copies. We often said in previous episodes of this podcast, regular run-of-the-mill anime DVD release would be kind of lucky if it sold 3,000 or so. And you had kind of a big hit if you sold 15,000. 
So, you know, mm-hmm. you see the pattern here, the gradually diminishing number for sales with the gradually increasing price in the case of the Japanese releases. And it kind of reminds me of, as we've said before, the United States direct market for comic books and figurines and the like, which is basically where anime is going. There's not really that many places left that you can go to a store and purchase anime on DVD. The only one I can commonly cite is Best Buy. And if you've been to a Best Buy lately, anime section is pretty small. And shrinking, and Best Buy as kind of a company is collapsing slowly if you want to read Forbes. Yeah, Yeah, there's a Forbes article about that. That is interesting reading. Also, to bring it back around to Bandai Entertainment, if you go to Best Buy, you won't really find their stuff anymore, except maybe for a couple of uh, Cowboy Bebop bricks. For the most part, they didn't have much of a retail footprint anymore, and I think that hurt them. So really, the only place to get their stuff was at anime retailers and Amazon. Or Right Stuff. Well, that's anime retail. Yeah, anime retail, yeah. I'd like to bring up something specific about Bandai as well. Bandai, uh, I've always been very interested in them because they had the Gundam property. And because Gundam is one of the most merchandised things in Japan in terms of anime. And they were merchandising it well over here for a while. Yeah, they were trying very hard. I actually just favorited an old commercial for the Gundam models. None of that stuff really hit off anything close to what they wanted. Well, again, it's the expectations of the Japanese versus the realities of what they had in the United States. And I'm sure that if they were to have recalibrated their expectations, they could have had a satisfactory output. But the truth of the matter is, as we noted on this podcast many a time, they sort of just expected Gundam models to kind of hit it off and be big the way they were in Japan, despite the fact that in Japan they had decades to build that up. It doesn't happen overnight. They also started in, what, 1980, before, you know, video game systems were a big deal, and now they've got to compete with that directly here. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the Bandai Entertainment handled any of the video games, but I know that a lot of the Gundam games came out here. I don't know how well they did. Yeah. Most of them were not that good. Right. So, right. <laughs> I seem to recall um, Bandai's, uh, you know, Mobile Suits in Action, little action figure uh, line were doing pretty well, and they were all over the place. They were in lots of toy stores. Yeah, it probably wasn't as successful as they wanted it to be, but they had shelf space at Walmart and Target. They were in Toys R Us. They had a big display at the Toys R Us in Times Square. I remember uh, Yoshiyuki Tomino went over there to see like the gigantic RX-78 and Zaku that they had fighting it out. They weren't life-size, but they were about six or seven feet tall each. Hmm. I'm pretty sure you could teach a college-level business course all about the screwed up decisions that bandai made over the years with gundam alone in the united states to say nothing of overall because i mean if you think back what caused all those toys for gundam to vanish off the shelves of walmart Mm -hmm. uh it was the zeta gundam gundam seed switcheroo wasn't it yep i believe so yeah it was they had positioned and had made commitments to retailers to put zeta gundam toys in and they pulled that stuff at the absolute last minute because seed was such a success in japan Someone high up panicked and decided that, no, they had to get Seed out next. And they pretty much screwed up their entire release schedule, causing them to... The stores decided that they weren't going to deal with them anymore after that because they had promised a whole line. Yeah, and they missed a release deadline, so Walmart and Target dumped all their stuff. Not a smart move. Not at all. And I understand Bandai is a gigantic company and there's many different divisions and such, but Bandai Entertainment in America must deal directly with the big brother over in Japan. 
which would lead me to believe that they must have some more access to some more merchandising than, you know, your typical, like, AD Vision or whatever. Well, yes and no. What Bob Napton, who is the old marketing director, he's one of the guys that was laid off, unfortunately. What he told me a few months ago when I was asking about it at Oticon, actually, they work hand-in-hand with the toy division. They work very close. They all share the same building in Cypress, California, but they're not really permitted to manage that stuff directly. This was born out of a conversation I was having with him because uh, I was very mystified by their release of Zegapain, which was a pretty good show disguised as a pretty bad show. The thing is, Zegapain, that's the kind of thing that it was never going to succeed over here because their whole release strategy in Japan was based on a show that was supported by model kits and video games, and that stuff didn't come out here. We just got the show. And that just seems really dumb to me that they wouldn't make sure that the toy division works together with the video division and that they're supporting each other, especially when, you know, you're dealing with one company. And I would hope that the contract internally in the company would be a lot easier to deal with. That's what anime is largely about is still the merchandise. Oh, yeah. The merchandising of anime has always been just sadly anemic over here. They've almost never merchandised it. And many times it's because the Japanese licensors prevent the people who license it over here from doing it. Because I remember Central Park Media would always tell us the Votom's pewter figurine story. Oh, yeah. I don't know if anybody here remembers, but once upon a time, Central Park Media used to come out with a role-playing game based on practically every title that they came out with. And it's not because they were really that into role-playing games, but it's because it was one of the few ways that you can actually make merchandise, and in particular, making anything close to an art or source book for these shows. The Demon City Shinjuku Tabletop RPG. <laughs> Did they really make that? Really? I have the book for it. Holy crap. I have the crap. book of the guy wow. who watched Demon City Shinjuku and tried to codify it into a way that would make sense and formulate gaming rules-based on Yoshiaki Kawajiri's head. Wow. To bring that up next time, we should try. We should attempt to play it. You were there when I bought it. I'm pretty sure I remember, because I, I remember seeing that thing. There are all sorts of weird things like that. But you see, the thing is, Central Park Media wanted to also make pewter figurines of the uh, ATs, you know, the armored troopers, to go along with the role-playing game. And Takara Toys prevented them from doing this because they claimed that that was making toys based on the show, and their contract specifically stated that they could not make toys, because that would have been something that Takara themselves wanted to reserve, even though they never actually tried to sell Photom's toys in this country. They made sure that whoever licensed the show could not make toys. We've heard these stories, certainly, and they don't surprise us. It kind of makes sense. What's mystifying is when companies like Bandai, who presumably own these things lock, stock, and barrel, can't release their own stuff. Or when Viz or Shueisha can't release their own stuff. I mean, that's the part where we look at it and we go like, huh? Yeah, like, Daryl, just, just, just buy like official Gundam wall scrolls easily. Those came eventually, didn't they? Didn't Great Eastern get the license to do those? But why would Great Eastern have to do it? Why wouldn't just Bandai put it out? Yeah, that's true. And why did it take uh, so long? Why I, is it that I, the I, only thing that they ever tried to push were the model kits, the small little figures, and some of the video games? That's a good question. I mean, I think one thing you can look at is the release of Gundam Unicorn. Mm-hmm. Everyone has been asking, now that Bandai Entertainment is pulling out, well, what will happen to Gundam Unicorn? Because no one seems to understand that Bandai Entertainment has nothing to do with Gundam Unicorn. That entire thing is, is being handled from home base in Japan. I think that's one of the things that they looked at to kind of warrant their decision to pull the plug on Bandai Entertainment. They saw, with Gundam Unicorn selling as well as it did, without needing the middleman, so to speak, of Bandai Entertainment, 
And they figured, who needs these guys? We can just do this whole gig ourselves, right? And to yeah, be fair, Gundam Unicorn, really high quality stuff, exceptional dub, but it does mean that the DVD release of Gundam Unicorn, the ones that would have more than one episode at a time for maybe not $50 a shot, those are gone now. Those yep. aren't coming out. Yep. And that's incredibly unfortunate because now it guarantees that the only people getting Gundam Unicorn are the super hardcore Gundam fans. And mm-hmm. even I am not the super hardcore Gundam fan enough to purchase Gundam Unicorn on Blu-ray. But of course, you can always just rent it streaming on PlayStation Network or uh, what is uh, Sony's? PSN. That's PlayStation Network, but I mean on their, oh. uh, like my Sony Blu-ray player also, I think it's like Crackle or something. It used to be called Curiosity. And then they changed it to something else. But yeah, you can rent it for like $4 if you want to watch uh, streaming HD of Gundam Unicorn. Xbox Live has got it as well. Yeah. But that's ultimately where it's going to be, where people who want to see it, you'll rent it, watch it. And then if you really, really, really like it, you'll have to shell out like 50 or $60 an episode. Now, how does this tie in to the point that all the, uh, the anime voice actors were saying about the pirates? logically thinking this through if you wanted to see something but it was only available via a very limited release format for a very high sum of money and perhaps you didn't have playstation network or something isn't now your only option to see the thing to steal it if i want to see the garden of sinners right now can't buy those discs you can't rent the video from any streaming service it's not going to be on television for you to see I have to steal it now. I have to go look it up on, you know, Pirate Bay or wherever it is that people go to get this stuff. And that's also crazy as well, because when you think about it, who would have ever seen Garden of Sinners other than someone who had pirated it? In the first place to to want to purchase it. To want to buy that? No one would have ever seen. I think it ultimately comes down to the argument that piracy is partially something that some people are always going to steal anyway. But most of the people who pirate are doing so because their need isn't being fulfilled on the actual consumer grade. Like, they would buy it if only it was easier for them to get. I mean, we've seen this business model in place before. iTunes has made a killing on music. Certainly, Napster existed beforehand. And everyone said, oh, man, everyone's just pirating music. But they found that, hey, if you uh, sell music at, turns out, a dollar a song, people are fine with that. Video game piracy is... Certainly a rampant problem as well, but people have found that through digital distribution options such as Steam, which has frequent sales on games, much to my... Um, <laughs> much to all of our problems. Yes. I was going to say, yeah, it's, it's eating my life. Thanks a lot, Daryl. It's your fault. Right. But, you know, I'm willing to purchase games on Steam at that discounted price, even if they're games that in the past I've pirated, because now it's at a price point or a service that I can afford. That's the way you beat piracy, right? You make it more convenient. Crunchyroll, streaming anime site. They came out after BitTorrent and, you know, everyone was talking about how do you beat free streaming high definition with subtitles days after release? Well, save people the trouble of finding a tracker and downloading a torrent and having a hard disk space, having their codecs up to date and all that stuff. And uh, you just offer a streaming option that is virtually, at this point, simulcast for most of these things. But, of course, the problem inherent with the streaming services is Crunchyroll, especially, will often leave the entire series up for you know streaming pretty much forever. Those licenses do expire. They tend to take a couple of years, but right. content does disappear from Crunchyroll. In the meantime, what is the incentive for a person who likes the show to buy the discs if it's up there? 
Well, there shouldn't have to be an incentive because Crunchyroll, that's a revenue stream, man. Come on. Oh, yeah, but I'm just saying part of the problem, again, getting back to the business model is it was always based around the idea that you had to sell the actual physical media and the streaming services are obviating the need for that for the consumer. The streaming services are basically taking the place of what would traditionally be a television broadcast where you would have the shows broadcast on television and then you would watch them. And then if you really liked them, you'd go out and buy the disc or you'd buy merchandise based on the show or in the best of all worlds, you'd buy merchandise that was sold by commercials while you're watching the TV show. That's the way you got to deal with it, right? It's just one of those things where TV is the way most people consume entertainment and anime is not on TV anymore. And so... What is our alternative for people who consume most entertainment? You just watch it once, the cheap disposable entertainment. If TV is not the option, streaming is the option. And now streaming is becoming the way a lot of people are watching regular TV. How many people even have cable at this point on this podcast? Clarissa and I have got cable. I cut the cable TV cord. I don't have it anymore. Anything that isn't sports related, which, you know, even the sports I watch, I get simulcast packages. I've cut that cord, and I think more and more people are going to be doing that. It's uh, we're, we're moving towards IPTV. So where do you find anime now? Anime is basically on Adult Swim, you know, on the weekends at 3 a.m. or Toonzai. Which I don't even have. I, I have never even heard of that. Toonzai. That's four kids on. Four kids thing. They call it Toonzai, and that's got Yu-Gi-Oh! and Dragon Ball and stuff like that. And that's the only place that I've regularly seen anime. So, yeah, I mean, that's basically uh, what Bandai Entertainment is going to be now. I mean, they are basically going to exist largely as an entity that's just going to try and license things for distribution via some of these channels. And they say they're going to keep the existing catalog in stock such that people don't need to worry about whether or not the existing DVDs are going to suddenly go out of print. Who knows if that's going to remain true for an extended period of time. So get your original Gundam box sets while they can. Yeah, yeah, especially now that they just released the TV show subtitled. I mean, I'm personally a bigger fan of the movies. Likewise. Than the show, but I mean, it's a, a milestone that they finally released the TV show. And that was another thing that kind of like bothered me about Bandai's releases a lot of the time. I mean, they seem to be one of those companies, and I guess everyone was somewhat guilty of this, but a lot of times the American release of a Bandai title would be in some way inferior to the Japanese release, often in terms of video quality or audio quality. I mean, the famous example is Mobile Suit Gundam TV. They couldn't release that with a Japanese track in the United States during that initial uh, run. Wasn't that just ridiculous nonsense from the Japanese side? Yes. Yeah. Oh, totally. That was all purely intentional. And it often is. They also refused to let it have its original opening uh, animation sequence. They had to use, you know, the Toonami sequence that they edited for Cartoon Network. It was just this crap with, like, the Japanese side seemed to be, uh, I don't know what the word is, but they just seemed to be causing more problems for the American side just for no good reason. Like, what good reason would they have to limit that release of that show? And, I mean, I understand that the Gundam license and that show is a big deal in Japan, but in America, it's not, and it never will be. Look, I remember when they were first making uh, the translations of Gundam 0083, and our masters of the uh, original neutral versions of the uh, opening credits were all tinted blue 
it was like I don't know what generation copy, you know, dupe off of 16 millimeter film this was, but it was almost unusable. But if you go back and look at the original VHS releases of 0083, the opening credits had this weird blue tinge on them. Yeah, I remember that. Even uh, 8th MS team had, you know, weird problems like that too. There was always some sort of weird thing going on it wasn't unique to bandai because you know everyone who was a fan of sailor moon knew about how you know they omitted the episode from one of the uh, u.s releases and didn't give them their remastered video which you know is a recurring narrative among japanese releases and it all ties into the idea that they want people to buy their super expensive release and Mm -hmm. if there's the american release then they want to disincentivize people from buying the cheap release by making it the not as good release for the reasons that go back to what licensors want is different from what the consumer wants. It all sort of stems from that. It just fascinates me that Bandai was willing to go this far with it, that they were saying, you know what, rather than cave and give people, you know, what they want, and I'm not talking about just like it within the last year or two, I'm talking like if you look at the history of Bandai's releases in North America taken as a whole, Rather than seeds of those requests, we'd rather pull the plug yeah. than change. Yeah. Instead of making some money, they'd rather make no money on their own terms. And I think it's really unfortunate that you have so many folks online who are pointing to piracy as a result of this, just because if you just read what Kenny Adomi says in his press release, that's not really what it was in the final analysis. No. I mean, it was completely the Japanese guys looking at it. I mean, what is it? Their strategic business unit. Yeah. They said, hey, you know what? Uh, we're not doing this anymore. And we've seen this happen in a variety of instances where the Japanese company, not just Bandai, but a variety of places, they'll try something, and when it doesn't succeed the way they want it to, they pull the plug. Well, yeah, that happened with Toei when they were doing their uh, subtitles. Oh, yeah, that ridiculous. Oh, my goodness. That one was literally like, oh, no, a minor setback. Let's pull out of the market immediately. Of course, what they were doing was amazing because they just were releasing subtitle versions, and yet they couldn't seem to... No, they were bilingual. Yeah, they had really terrible dubs. They had these really bad dubs that were all made in Toronto, and they were releasing these DVDs that didn't have menus or chapter stops. It was amazing how poor the product was. It's as if they'd never actually looked at an American release before. Yeah, and it wasn't rocket science. They could have just looked at anything it seems like they will come you know many times japanese companies come into this market with just wildly exaggerated expectations of how well something's going to do and then when the market doesn't react the way they are expecting rather than change their strategy and make it work they keep plugging away at trying to make their failed strategy work and then they finally just pull out yeah Bondi's the latest one, and we just mentioned Toei. What are the other ones that have happened? Because this has happened to other companies. Several times. There was Bondi Visual USA. There was a Toei USA. You could kind of lump uh, Super Techno Arts into that, because they were kind mm. of just an extension of APPP. And they had American guys working on, on the other end, or at least people with experience, but they put yeah. out only JoJo's, and that took five years or something? Yeah, it, it took ages. The DVDs were decent quality, but it was like two episodes a disc. It was one of those, it was just off-kilter enough that it was kind of strange, and a lot of people didn't really get into it. Would we put Denion in there? Maybe. They were doing okay, though. That was the whole thing. Yeah. Well, so was Bandai Entertainment. Yeah. Genion's problem was a lot of their uh, their latter-day releases, like Tetsujin 28 and uh, Human Crossing and the Rumiko Takahashi anthology, those were kind of coming out at the directive of their parent company in Japan. So they were having these shows foisted on them that they couldn't really sell. 
and being made to pay up licensing fees and pay for production costs on things that, that just had no chance in the American market. Yeah. Which, which, again, makes no sense to me. Like, this is the American branch of the Japanese company. You would think they would be helping them. That the American guys would say, well, this has a chance and this has a chance. Okay, go and release it then. Don't get me wrong. I'm very happy we got Master Keaton. That was a good show, but that should never have been released here. And never should have been released the way it was. I mean, no, that's a pretty massive... Yeah, 10 discs, I think. 10 individual discs. Yeah. yeah. That was at the time when, you know, the box sets of 13 episodes wasn't common, but really that should have been a show like that. But also, Digital Manga, remember they were like a little division of Broccoli, weren't they? They're still around. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, they adapted. They started off kind of clumsily. But yeah, they're, uh, I think uh, their CEO is Hikaru Sasahara. They're the ones that released Swallowing the Earth by Osamu Tezuka. They actually stumbled across a really interesting new model to keep this stuff going. They put up a Kickstarter, Kickstarter page. model? Yeah, they sold out their initial print run of Swallowing the Earth, but it's an enormous book, and it would have been so expensive to reprint it, they just went to fans and said, you know, it's going to cost us $4,000 to do a new print run, and we'll throw in all this awesome extra stuff if you help us fund it. And they met their goal twice over. That kind of reminds me of the old days when Animago would, you know, not commit to doing a release of a show until they got like a few thousand pre-orders. Yep, yep, exactly. And in exchange, you get your name in the credits. That was the Orange Road model, right? And Yawara, I think. I think yeah. even Right Stuff tried that with Tyler Well, well on, on not, DVD. Yeah, on DVD, because there was that time of, oh, they weren't yeah. quite sure if they wanted they to weren't. release it on DVD. Right. Neil, I think the company you're thinking of would be SyncPoint, who are the guys that did... Yes, sorry. Yeah, yeah. you're right. They, they did Footy Cootie. They did uh, I Want to Be an Angel, which they were never able to complete. That's who I was thinking of. I thought it was Digital Manga, but yeah, I th SyncPoint was related to them, though, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. They were all under the umbrella of Broccoli USA. I think that was how it shook out. And Digital Manga were the only partner in, in that little operation that were really able to survive. Like, SyncPoint, right. SyncPoint's gone, Broccoli USA is gone, Digital Manga is still publishing books. Okay, yeah, I remember SyncPoint and their aborted attempt to bring over I Want to Be an Angel. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah, got, what, two discs in? Three, I think. And wasn't it like three years between discs or something? Oh, yeah, it took them an incredibly long time to shit that dub out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a good dub, but it just seemed to take them forever. And, I mean, the thing is... When they first entered the market, I was kind of wringing my hands because a lot of the people involved were novices, and here they were releasing Footy Cootie. They did a pretty damn good job with it, I have to say. I wasn't a big fan of the two episodes per disc. $30, you know, $90 yeah. for six episodes. Those were good DVDs, though, but yeah, they were a little out of step with what the market wanted, and I think it ended up killing them. I'm sure it's what Japan wanted, though, Mike. Oh, exactly. At least eventually Foodie Cootie got some more notice and got, like, on television. It's, right. Like, isn't it still running on Adult Swim at sometimes or something? It still resurfaces every couple of years. Yeah. And it, it's very popular on Netflix. It's perennially in the, uh, in the anime top ten now that it's on there. Yeah. If you go and you think back of what were the biggest hits for, like, not just Bandai, but for anime in America, I mean, the modern... I mean, I still call it modern, but it's been over a decade. The thing that kind of made the boom... In 2000 was Gundam Wing. That was Bandai's show. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cowboy Bebop, that was Bandai's show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These were the things that uh, entire generations of anime fans became anime fans thanks to Bandai Entertainment, and yet they always just seemed to not quite fully capitalize on, you know, not just those, but some other things. I mean, certainly Gundam Wing and Cowboy Bebop did quite well for Bandai yeah. Entertainment. In the Anime News Network piece, they even said, what are our most successful anime that we ever did? And, you know, Cowboy Bebop was, you know, number one after that all these years. That was the undisputed years. number one, yeah. Yeah, and then yeah. everything else was just like an also-rans. Yeah. 
but I was surprised to see Outlaw Star on that list. Outlaw Star for me is like, you know, the show that was on at the right time. It kind of liked my opinion of Saint Say it was like it was a hit because it was on at the right time. Yeah. The uh, rest of the world I'm talking about. But that know? was around like, what, 1999, 2000? You know, it was just getting on to Cartoon Network in a big way. And that was, I think once it started getting on Cartoon Network, that was like the big thing that kicked off the real big boom for selling anime on uh, on home video. Right, the reruns of Dragon Ball Z, which led to the Gundam Wing broadcast, which led to Cowboy Bebop, and so on and so forth. And these are their biggest things. I mean, the only, like, modern, you know, I would say modern air quotes title on their most successful anime is Haruhi Suzumiya. And that did well, but I don't think it did as well as the internet hype was suggesting it was going to do. They did a special edition of, of all four volumes, and the first run of the first volume Every copy that went into the retail uh, channel sold through, but they made so much that they just kind of flooded the market, and you can get those special editions for a couple of dollars each now. And they never really capitalized on ancillary merchandise, because for like two years there, you'd go to a con, any con, any anywhere, and there'd be a group of people doing the little Hare Hare Yukai dance. But yeah, as far as merchandise went, it would, you know, they had a couple of t-shirts and a couple of wall scrolls. And also a killer is they never got it onto TV, and Haruhi just doesn't seem like the sort of show that would yeah. make it onto American TV and that That's, people would watch. Yeah, it's kind of an otaku show. It, I think it's kind of charming. I've, I've seen most of it, and I've enjoyed it, but yeah, it's not nearly as accessible as the other stuff on that list. Yeah. The problem also with getting stuff on television is usually you'd have to compromise it so much. Even late in the game, who here remembers when they put Escaflone on... On Fox Kids. Oh, God. I, I actually think it's impressive that that's one of their top five performing titles of all time, because that never really got a chance to make a good impression on television. Yeah, it was purely one of those things that was undisputedly, for its time, the big popular show among fans in a VHS era anime club, you know, local sort of thing, and that... It was an early release of Bandai when they were first like doing VHS so, releases. Anime Village. Anime Village, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I but Escaflone that. was the show for, you know, many years, you know, for quite some time. But yeah, the TV broadcast would have turned anyone off of Escaflone. I mean, it was a total four kids esque kind of uh, job. Well, they edited the hell out of it. Fox Kids demanded that they just for music rights, they had to replace most of the music with stuff that they had made themselves. Horrible drum and bass techno stuff. I think they cut the number of episodes down to about 18. Yeah, I know that they started with episode two. Yeah, it went in the tank real fast. They didn't even get a chance to show all those episodes. Although I understand that it did well on television overseas and that the episodes were uncut after the American run of it. Sort of a Techaman Blade style. Yeah, like uh, we've got some British people that we know that say it, it did very well over there, and like after a certain point, it's just totally uncut. That's also like when they did the um, when did that new uh, Astro Boy series come out? It was like two thousand two, two thousand three, two thousand four ish. That was unfortunate. That was a great show that again was ruined. It was just mangled. Yeah, you, yeah. Find if you're listening to Anime World Order, and and I know you are. Find the episode where they interview Mark Handler because he goes into great detail on how they took this wonderful show and kind of wrecked it. Yeah, that was terrible, but I guess some exposure is better than no exposure. Sony, but... yeah. Sony. That, that's another company that just never seemed to really figure it out. You could get a couple of episodes of Cyborg 009, then they dropped it, then they put Blood Plus out on home video, and you could either get a single disc for $20, well, you or you could get the whole series for 100 Right. Well, if anyone sees how they handle the PlayStation, you then <laughs> it's no surprise. They just don't seem to know what this market can do. Or rather, they just refuse to 
change their preconceptions of what they want the market to do. Exactly, yeah. It's a complicated problem, and the, and the thing is, I was never able to catch up to them, but there are representatives from Sunrise that go to Anime Expo and go to Otakon and go to New York Comic Con. I wonder if there's any way for fans to just approach these people and, and try and, and talk to them about this. They've got panels at Otakon and such that are run by Sunrise people, and people tell them. I'm sure that people say this stuff to them. Yeah. Yeah, people tell them, and they hear it, and they just assume that we're all a bunch of thieves who just want everything for free and want it now. And so they figure most of these people can just be written off. Like, oh, those aren't paying customers or what have yeah. you. I don't know why they don't listen. I'm going to assume that it's that some Japanese guy there made a decision from his business school and he has to stick by his decision and his decision is right. Otherwise, his business school looks bad or something. I don't know. I have no clue why, but it seems like such a... We tell them. We, if we make it very clear and they... It still just doesn't work. The problem is you could tell one or two people, but it's one of these things where you have to convince the entire corporate culture simultaneously because there's a lot of pressure that you don't rock the boat or make waves, especially when somebody above you has made a policy decision. Mm -hmm. It just fascinates me that that extends so far that you will actually lose money. That they're willing to lose the money and let things shut down rather than change their mind and say, you know what, maybe this isn't working. Hey, it's about saving face, right? It's also about fear of trying something new. They know that this model that they've developed works for Japan, and they want to keep the model working that you know that way because they're also afraid that if they do something different over here, then they'll have to change it in Japan. And that's the unstated fear, isn't it? If they're this afraid of reverse importation, that means deep down inside, even though they'll never come out and say it, they know they're cheating the Japanese customers. They know that it's such a ripoff to them that they'll do anything to not have to pay that crappy pricing that they charge them, that they'll even go and import the disc from another country. I remember uh, another client, I did a translation of a novel for them, and they were planning to do a big push of digital uh, publishing over here. And apparently the Japanese Booksellers Association just freaked out because they don't want to suddenly have ebooks threaten their paper book. The Kindle, God forbid. They're terrified of ebooks too. Yeah. Gotta love it. I understand that this kind of aborted a big push into the U.S. ebook market because they don't want to scare off the uh, the Japanese booksellers. Oh well, God. look at what well, they're doing with J-Manga. I mean, isn't that a Japanese company? I'm not actually familiar with what they're doing, so... I think it is, and we've talked about them on our show, and they've got this ridiculous strategy... They've got, like, really long digital manga on there. Like, Daryl, correct me if I'm wrong, but don't they have, like, the Naruto and One Piece stuff or, or stuff that's that long? I want to say that when Viz is going to launch their Shonen Jump Digital, that's where that stuff is going to go. Regardless of the titles themselves, they're very long titles. They do have they... some long titles, and a lot of them are weird things that have never been released in print in the United States, such that if you want to read this thing in English, J-Manga is how you're going to do it. And their pricing scheme is that it is maybe a dollar less than, like, owning a physical copy. Yeah, it's kind of serious. Yeah. So the savings aren't nearly enough. Certainly not for digital work. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I guess we're just seeing it again there. We've touched on this in so many ways. I mean, certainly the shutting down of Bandai Entertainment is newsworthy. But the, the circumstances that have led up to this are something that is not unique to Bandai Entertainment. And it's kind of uh, frustrating that it's not unique. Yeah. As they said, the company probably could have gone on for years more if they'd let it do that but i don't know business decisions overseas 
dictate. That's kind of the story of almost everything. When something weird happens on the U.S. side of things, you could usually find that it originates on the uh, Japan side of things. Well, isn't that what happened with ADV when uh, that weird conglomerate company pulled out suddenly? Sojits. Sojits, yeah. Yeah. Sojits pulled out really suddenly, and suddenly they just didn't have any of this money that they were depending on. They had a terrible contract, like a a kind of no-condition, no-guarantee contract that Sojits could just pull out of their agreement at any time. And they did. And it ruined them. First minor setback, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. A minor setback run! Yep. Do you get the feeling this is sort of just the tip of the iceberg for 2012? I mean, a similar thing has happened with uh, Bees Entertainment over in Europe, which is also, I guess, uh, Bandai-related. Do you think Section 23 may encounter a similar issue? I mean, I've been hearing rumblings that perhaps all the fancy uh, tax code cheats and workarounds and shell corporations that they set up to avoid paying that Sojit's debt are kind of falling through. I haven't heard any of that. And they're, no, uh, I, ha- I mean, they seem to kind of be ramping up, to be honest. I think they have the right strategy. They're getting stuff out there on physical media, but they're focusing a lot on getting stuff to streaming outlets. Yeah, the anime network is pretty up to date. And you can, uh, you can also see those things on Hulu. Yeah, they've got those weird, like, 45-minute Broken Blade movies uh, positioned on Xfinity's on-demand service. They seem to be very aggressively just getting stuff online and getting it out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing is, I don't see BEI shutting down as a video publisher to be the end of the world because they're still going to be licensing their stuff to whoever wants to pay for it. And in a way, it might free the releases to be a little better than they were, you know, in the past. I hope so. I hope someone rescues Giant Gorg. Well, (laughs) (laughs) bring back Dando. God, I remember when Giant Gorg was going to be coming out. Yep, that and SBT Lasner, both translated in their uh, entirety. I still have the very fancy uh, promotion box for... um, Kikider. Kikider, yes, with a golf ball. A Kikider golf ball. (laughs) Is there even any golf in that anime, or is it... No, it's it's because Jerry Chu, I believe, was a big fan of golf, and that's, I think, how Dando cut license. I believe it's Kenny Adomi is the fan of golf, and that's, you know, how things happen. But yeah, it's, um... It's one of those things. Yeah, Bandai was a weird company. It was probably the most Japanese company of the anime publishers in the United States. I knew a lot of the people there. I knew, you know, I knew Ken, I knew Jerry Chu, I knew uh, Nobu Yamamoto, who was who was one of their product managers. They were a fun company in the early 2000s. They released a lot of interesting stuff, like the Kikaider anime, like the uh, the Crest of the Stars anime. Mm-hmm. High quality stuff that you wouldn't necessarily expect to see. I was shocked. When they not only released Kikider, but they got it on television. Got it on TV. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't they get Crest of the Stars on TV or something? I know that Crest they... of the Stars aired in a horrible dub, like one of the most wretched yeah. dubs for such a dialogue-intensive show. Pretty much a, a crime, but I believe that was on G4. Yes. I yep. mean, if they got the stuff out there and they would release the stuff, they had the standard four discs and then you could buy it later cheaply. So I appreciate what they were trying there. Well, I believe that was... Totally the American side realizing what they had to do. And I mean, yeah, you'd have the higher priced initial release, and then later on, you wait a year and they would come out with a budget price box set. Mm-hmm. That's how yeah, I've the- got a lot of the Gundam series, are just the, the box sets. Yep. To this day, I'm really sad that Zegapane didn't get its uh, Anime Legends box set because I think that it would have sold quite well that way. Yeah, I wanted to watch the show. I wanted to buy it, but. You can't. That volume four, man, that volume four. Yep, Can't find exactly. it anyway. In my mind, the Anime Legends sets should have, over time, become the default way 
that they would release things, and that never happened. I'm sure they wanted to do it. Again, I'm sure that the guys on the U.S. side of things wanted to do things that were much different than the guys on the Japan side of things wanted to do. Well, sure, it's right there in the... Yes, because Ken said so in his in his statement. Yeah. Yep. It's all right there, man. Well, I mean, maybe it's like Neil was saying, maybe this will open the door, not just to license rescues, but to future releases from Bandai Japan or from Sunrise uh, being licensed and brought out in a, in a slightly better format from Funimation, from NIS, from Viz, from one of the surviving companies. Or maybe it'll just mean we're going to have another Aniplex and NIS on our hands. Yeah. Well, I don't have a problem with NIS. What's wrong with NIS? It's a little hard to find their stuff. Yeah, yeah, they don't have as big a retail footprint as I'd like, but for the money you pay, uh, from what I've seen of their stuff, you're getting good product. You get that art book, and you get this nice big packaging that doesn't fit on your shelf. It's great. Their stuff is, what, like 30 bucks or 40 bucks a disc or something? No, but they, I mean, it is... what, what they do is they'll release a 13-episode series, like Arakara Under the Bridge or Half of Toradora. They'll release that for like 60 bucks with an art book with a whole bunch of special edition goodies. Then uh, six months later, they'll do a standard edition. That will be like 35 bucks. That's not a bad way to do it. It seems to be working for them. They just licensed uh, Brave 10, which that shows up on TV in Japan next week. Especially since, like we said earlier, uh, physical media is probably going to turn into a boutique item where it's going to be all about getting the extras and you know, the little art book or whatever that comes with it. Yeah. Because if you just want to see the show, you can get the show from other means. Yeah. And in that case, the Japanese companies are going to have to work with the American companies because all of that stuff has to be licensed, I understand. It's still going to have to be localized. Yeah, it's I still... don't want to get, you know, my Jinro book, only it's entirely in Japanese, like yes. what happened with the Bandai Visual Jinro release. That still amazes me, because they did a nice little book for uh, the Oniamas release and for yeah. Gunbuster. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, there was the, they translated the whole shebang for the Pat Labor releases. Yeah. Those were nice. I those paid the full nice. money for those. Yeah. I mean, maybe I was the only one, but you know. That was the other one. The other one was Gerald. But According to Video Scan, they sold about six or 800 of those things, actually. So not blockbuster numbers by any means, but no, no, people bought those things. I think they printed a couple thousand. I mean, I'm sure I could go and look at the Pat Labor set and see because it was a limited edition that we numbered it out of how many were made total. Right. That's true. I imagine that six or 800, that's now the success model. For Aniplex. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is astounding, but that's where we are now. Does that mean we're going to get more fan stuff like Garden of Sinners and Madoka and stuff? That's part of the whole thing of the Japanese industry seems to be chasing the smaller and smaller otaku market because they know that those guys are going to be buying this stuff. One of my complaints over the last few years is there's less and less general interest anime being made, and it's a big problem. That's why I've got my red line pre-ordered. I want to mm -hmm. yep, me too. tell them, you know, hey, make more of this. And they won't. They will never make more of it. Or it'll take 15 years to make more of it. Oh, man. That's a whole other podcast. Doing that sort of thing requires a certain amount of risk. And the Japanese businesses is hilariously risk-averse at this point. Yeah, because, I mean, it's not like the 1980s when they were swimming in money and people were just hopping into the animation business, and that's when you got this explosion of creativity, because it was like the dot-com boom of the 90s, only with cartoons. They were making the weirdest things back in the 80s, because they had the money to do it, but budgets have been so tight for the last 10 or 15 years that they just don't want to risk anything. And unfortunately, they're chasing smaller and smaller fish. Yeah, and that, unfortunately, is going to mean less and less fans. And again, we're getting back to it's going to turn into the American comic market. Mm-hmm. Oh, God save us all. Well. <laughs> well, that was but a fun way to start 2012. 
Yep, <laughs> I would say that's about as optimistic as it's going to get on this podcast. I still have hope. I still think that streaming is going to finally solve the problem of how to get the stuff in front of people without forcing them to pay $200 to watch a 13-episode series. And Yeah. What if you lay out that money and you don't like the ending? Exactly. Yeah. Don't you feel like a sucker? The biggest problem with streaming at this point, I think, is just that the ad models and the monetization for it is not really mature yet. It's hard to make money doing it. But as broadcast and cable continues to wither, that money is going to flow over there. So hopefully the anime companies who are brave enough and resourceful enough to get to those outlets are going to be rewarded for it. Uh-huh. And I think those outlets are still going to be crying for new material to show all the time. And anime, it's proven that people like it. There's always going to be an audience for it. Yeah, it's not like anime isn't popular anymore. Anime has its own category on Netflix, and it's one of the big ones that you know you see right there on the splash page. Everyone knows about it. Everyone watches it. I just wish that they would have more options for the dub and sub stuff, but that's my annoying that, fan complaint. That's coming. Yeah. The technology is, is kind of there now. If you look at the latest revisions of the Netflix dashboard, there are actually language options. So that's probably something they just need to implement. Yeah. We're caught in a weird cusp where the technology and how the entire market is changing. And some companies are just not adapting very well. I don't think that this is really the end of anything. I don't think it's a disaster. I just think that this really forces people to come to grips with the video industry has changed. In general, DVDs are not selling nearly as well as they used to. I'm afraid that the Japanese companies or the anime companies will look at this situation and learn the wrong things from it. There's never been precedent for that ever, Gerald. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Right, right. I'm hoping that they look at it and they don't say, like, oh, no one wants anime, or the Anaplex model is the only way to go. I hope that they look at it and say, well, you know, we have to try something else. To me, it seems like an obvious choice. You can make money or you can not make money. But, well, we just saw a publisher make the choice to not make money. Mm -hmm. I guess really rational, careful, studied thought about this is out of the question for some of these companies. Just hopefully that won't be the case for all of them. The only thing that can really screw this up is when they license the stuff, if they just keep demanding outrageous prices for the licensing fees. And it's stuff that nobody wants. Yeah, or forcing licensors to take things they normally would not license. The Van Von Hunter license rescue. Yeah. <laughs> if they want six figures for, you know, Shin Getter Robo. And... and even though all of us here would definitely be on that Shin Getter Robo mm-hmm. train, it wouldn't make up for the license fees, no. 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 I think those days for that kind of show, that that stuff's over. But yeah, it, it mystifies me that a show like, actually talking about this early on Twitter, uh, Bakemonogatari, isn't really available legally in any way. Despite being very popular in Japan and pretty popular internationally, the sequel is going to be streaming on Crunchyroll for anyone in the world who wants to watch it and has a subscription. But but if you want to be caught up with the original show because it's a sequel, yeah. don't you want to be yeah. up to speed? Well, you don't have a legal out. Yeah, it's one of those things. It came out in early 2009 before Shaft, uh, the producer, was really in on the whole streaming anime thing. And they're not going back and getting this old stuff. I'm hoping that's the next frontier. Is going back for the old weird catalog yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, the publishers will... Kind of like what Toei did yep. when they put up, like, here's all the Galaxy Express 3.9. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's still up there for you to stream. That's on yeah. Sony's network. We now live in a world where, for free, you could watch all of Galaxy Express and Captain Harlock. Yeah. Yeah. Subtitled and ready to go. And, and Fist of the North Star. And Tokyo Movie Shinsha just put uh, the loop on the third Mystery of Mamo and Space Adventure Cobra movies up on Hulu. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things that it's just like, come on, guys, money table, let's let's go. So which dub is it uh, of uh, Mamo? I highly doubt it's the J. It's the Jenny on oh. Fuse dub, and uh, yeah, Space Adventure Cobra is the uh, the the non-yellow, the streamlined dub, inner sound, yeah. 
Justin Savakis, he helped broker the deal to get this stuff to Hulu, and he, he told me that when he asked TMS, they were just like, yeah, we want, we want to have the English version up there. You said which English version? They weren't aware of the yellow version. Huh. Like they, they weren't cognizant of the fact that Manga had made this completely different music and effects version. I find stuff like that funny. That's an area of interest for me. That's like TMS forgetting that they had done the dub of Mamo back in the 70s. Oh, yeah. You ask people that work at TMS now about that dub, and there's no information about it. They don't have any lists of names. They don't know who translated it. Maybe that happened over and over, and that's why that movie's been dubbed over so many times. Seems that way. But all four of those dubs... Like the bowling ball keep falling on Fred Flintstone's head. Exactly. <laughs> all those dubs are pretty good in their own yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm happy that they all came out. Even the weird British one. Look, I'm just hoping that someday someone's going to need enough shovelware that they're actually going to bring over Dragon R. <laughs> Top Gundam? Oh, yeah. There's all these shows that never got over here just because they're considered too old or too weird or, you know, whatever. Well, and I think it's kind of cool that the fan subbers are picking up slack on some of this older stuff that is not getting a market. I think it's dumb and weird that there are a lot of people out there who are basically just grabbing Crunchyroll fan subs and then kind of re-editing them a little, but someone out there is fan subbing Tokimeki tonight. The enterprising dude, like more or less the one-man operation who went through and did all of Dugram. Yeah, and who is now chewing through uh, Briger. I think that's the same guy. And isn't there just one guy who's doing like the SD versions of Space Adventure Cobra TV series or some HD versions of that? I don't know. You might be right about that. Mm. But uh, yeah, a lot of these are, like you're saying, we're finding some weird curios popping up. Yeah. And they're interesting. And they're almost like, wow, this would be gold. This is gold in our hands. And yet it's just one of, you know, a thousand other things now. Yeah, and it's just like, uh, again, there are thousands of people downloading these old things. It's just like, guys, pirates are discovering a new market for you. Go after it. Yeah, but they won't because that would involve admitting things they don't want to admit. Guess so. Mm. That's the thesis of this podcast almost. The thesis of this podcast is, Japan, why don't you wake admit up? It. Just admit it. Just admit it, Japan. Japan, why you know anime? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I guess that should be about it for as far as uh, covering that. I want to say uh, thanks for uh, Neil Nadelman and Mike Tool showing up and uh, no problem. enlightening us all with their Bostonian uh, street cred. Mm-hmm. It was my pleasure. The Bruins, I think, scored like about a million goals tonight. That was pretty cool, too. Oh, hockey. Yeah, ice hockey. You and your <laughs> sports. I mentioned a sport, and there's this dread, uncomfortable silence. I love that. We <laughs> prefer the name Iced Canes. Iced Canes, that's right. <laughs> Yellow ball, helmet touch. <laughs> Nobody ever wins Sports. helmet touch. Anything you want to get out there? Any final messages to the people? Because who knows when you may be back on this podcast again. I say don't panic. It's not the end of the world. It's just a new opportunity. Yep. Anime is not going anywhere, guys. Just keep enjoying it. And I said this on Twitter, but it's if there's a easy, convenient, legal way to enjoy your anime, even if it involves sitting through a commercial or clicking a banner ad, do it. That's where the business is going, and uh, we need to encourage it. There's a ton of stuff available legally on YouTube, and you can get a subscription for Crunchyroll. If you have Netflix, there's a whole bunch of stuff. Just support it that way, and then maybe buy a book, or uh, buy a figure, or a model kit. Or buy this swell uh, Gundam 0083 wall scroll featuring Ko Iraki. Everyone's favorite hero. <laughs> exactly. And his ever-so-capable sidekick, Chuck Keith. You could go into your stop and shop and find that old VHS... Of Gundam Wing. Yep, only 25 cents, folks. <laughs> Is this the subject of an upcoming Mike Tool show? Uh, yes. Okay, good. Yeah, I, I got one of those videotapes, new sealed with Toonami stickers on it. I'm, go- I'm going to do something with it. I think I might be shooting some video tomorrow. Hopefully it'll be it'll go over as well as Robot King did. <laughs> That's a high thing to top. Robot King goes over well with 
everyone I show it to, and I show it to everybody I meet. Glad to hear it. If they don't like it, then they're not allowed to be our friends. All right, that's going to do it, guys. Uh, I guess I was right about that Section 23 thing, and um, I guess there was a Media Blasters thing, too, huh? Who could have guessed it at the time besides me? Anyway, just to wrap up one more time, the website is www.animeworldorder.com. You can email us at animeworldordergmail.com. And I did forget to mention this in the beginning, but we do have Twitter accounts. The official podcast account is just at animeworldorder. We don't really post to that one very often other than to say, hey, there's a new episode out. But on Twitter, you can see Mike at Michael Tool. Neil is Doc Sane, or it's uh, spelled Doc Sane. I'm Daryl Surratt, no underscores, no spaces. Clarissa is at Clarissa G, and Gerald's a difficult one because he's like Gerald underscore AW0. I don't think it's AWO. All right, so now that I've edited this, I'm off to go play more video games. See ya. Oh, wait, before I drop the mic in defiance and leave, I should remind everyone Redline is out. That was something that we reviewed a couple of shows back. You can now buy it on Blu-ray or DVD. If you are interested in buying it, buy it through the link on our website. We'll actually get like a quarter or something like that if you click there and buy it. Uh, Amazon's got the best price. It's 20 bucks. A lot of people I know already bought it already, so it's cool. There's also a vertical ink sale going on on Right Stuff right now, so you want to check that out too. Most of the manga I read at this point is from either Dark Horse or Vertical. And last but not least, uh, even though I mentioned this earlier, the new issue of Otaku ESA magazine is out. I've got the cover story. I'm writing about Full Metal Alchemist, Brotherhood the Movie, The Sacred Star of Milos. I'm also writing about the third Golgo 13 collection. And with regards to that, I've got a web article up on otakuusamagazine.com all about Golgo 13 Queen Bee. Pretty uh, forgotten and great OAV from the late Osamu Dezaki. Didn't really get very much feedback on that. In fact, I don't think I got any comments at all. It's probably because... No one really cares about Golgo 13 except me and the people listening to this show. Also in that magazine, I wrote a feature on Fibrain Puzzle of God, which just got renewed for a second season. It's the most awesome retarded show airing in Japan currently. I approve. Okay, seriously, I am hitting stop this time.